you're listening to Q Marriage Mentors with Jeff Lutz, a podcast featuring conversations with remarkable lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender couples. What makes great relationships work? Jeff will ask the questions. You'll hear the answers. Together, we'll learn. Hey, everybody. Jeff here. And if you've been listening to the podcast, you know that I usually chat with couples that have been together several years. But I plan to change things up on occasion, so today I talk with a couple from Houston that's been together just a few years, but is full of hope, passion, and youthful energy. Brian Cotton is a financial advisor, and Joan Valadares is a school teacher. and I began by asking how they met. Brian started our conversation. Six and a half years ago, I was on the board of a local nonprofit called Alpha Education, and we provide scholarships for Houston's LGBT kids, um, LGBTQ. And I actually interviewed Joan when he was 19 years old. And uh, when he walked out of the door, I said, give that kid three years and he'll be smoking hot. <laughs> um, I was in a relationship at the time and um, through the nonprofit, it's unofficially become mentors with a lot of these kids. And he was one of them and everything from, hey, I need a good bottle of wine on a college budget or how do I get credit or how do I, you name it, write a resume, all that stuff. Uh, so through the years, we had stayed in contact with Joan and whatnot. And then, um, gosh, I guess three, four years later, uh, I had gone through a breakup. Uh, he had gone through a breakup. We were both single and apparently he had had a crush on me for a long time. And this was, uh, I was totally unaware of this. You didn't know. <laughs> I really had no idea. And it's funny because we have a mutual friend, Jordan, and she was like, Oh my God, you're so clueless. Uh, <laughs> so it was kind of funny. Um, we ended up going out and uh, neither one of us were looking for a boyfriend at the time. We just kind of had a summer fling and three plus years later, here we are. So, yep. Wow. How about for To be fair. Yes. I should put this disclaimer <laughs> out there. He had graduated college and was no longer affiliated with the nonprofit. Okay. <laughs> That's right. He was in the clear. That's right. That's right. That's why we're always like, we have to explain. <laughs> you know, whenever I would see him, just like at events and stuff like that, I'd be so nervous. I'm like, oh my God, there's Brian Cotton. And it's just like, okay, okay, pay cool. And hey, Brian, what's up? And then when he'd leave, it's like, I get all giddy again. And it was just cute to remember that time, you know, when you have a crush on somebody. Yeah. Mom. And so after this uh, summer that you thought mm-hmm. it was just going to be a few months, and <laughs> what was it that uh, each of you saw in the other that made you think, I really would like to see if this could go somewhere? We just had so much fun together. Um, and Fine. we both would agree that we, uh, our chemistry together is off the charts, mm-hmm. you know, so sexually all that. I mean, we were like, yeah, this is pretty much inseparable. Yeah. yeah. We were just together all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're fine with that. Like we love being together. We love going out and doing things together. And then we also are perfectly happy sitting on the couch watching America's Got Talent. You know, I mean, like, or what's the newest one we're watching? Oh, Big Queer Eye. Oh, Queer Eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The new Queer Eye. Yeah, we love it, you know? So and so that's, that's kind of thing. One of our differences that we're both very in tune to is, as you probably figured out, I'm very extroverted and he's more introverted, you know? Um, but we're both very conscientious of that. And so he knows that I need to be out and see people. And then there's also other times where I'm like, 
we need to veg at home. Like, you need some downtime, you know? Joan, is that difficult for you to be the introverted one in the relationship? Um, so I can turn myself on as an extrovert at times, but there are other times where I have to be like, hey, I need to go home or like I need to ex- like go somewhere else just to recharge my battery because that's that's not my natural state is, you know, in events or like with other people. Last night is actually a prime, prime example. There was an event at our apartment complex. And by that point in the evening, I was tuckered out. I mean, I, my social battery, as I call it, had run out. And so I told him, hey, you're more than welcome to stay, but I just need to go upstairs. Like, I can't like be down here. And he's great at understanding that. I, I've been with my husband 20 years, and I remember the first time we went on vacation a few years into it. And at 10 o'clock, I was ready to retire, and he was just getting started. And mm-hmm. and we actually had a fight uh, because mm-hmm. of that. But over the years, we've learned how to manage that difference. It sounds like that's what you're talking about in mm-hmm. terms of energy level. Yep. It's really... One of my friends, <clears throat> who was at the time one of my very closest friends, he kind of explained it really well to me because I'd never thought about it. He said, you're the most considerate alpha I've ever met. And he said, you're absolutely an alpha personality. He said, but you always ask and you always take everybody else's feelings into consideration. He's like, so it's like, you still run the show, but you make sure everybody's taken care of. And so that's one of those things like with him, you know, if it's like in that situation, if I still want to go out and he's exhausted, I'm going to be like, no, let's go home. Like I'm totally willing to compromise and I don't, I don't feel jaded by that. I'm not like, ah, damn it. I really want to go out. Because quite honestly, if I was like, man, I really, really want to do something. He'd be like, okay, let's do it. And vice versa. There's a, there's give and take. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we communicate that to each other too, where Mm -hmm. it's like, I don't, hold that against him. Or let's say I like my social battery is low. I don't hold that to myself. You know, I let him know and that way he can adjust or I can adjust. And that way it it works really well. Okay, great. Um, so tell me about family and, uh, where they were and, and where they are today in their understanding of, who you are individually and together as a couple. So I have an amazing family. I mean, he always says like, Oh, you won the lottery. And it's true. (laughs) Um, I came out to my parents. I would say I was 17 when I came out to my parents. Um, And I was very worried because I'm from Honduras. So I was worried that, you know, they wouldn't accept me. Um, But my father said, you know what? You're my son. And no matter what, I'll always love you. And he gave me a hug and, my mom hugged me. Um, it was still, I wish we could videotape that and send it to oh every gay person. I mean, it would be Oh my goodness. It was, yeah. su- it was such a, a touching moment. I mean, I cried like a baby on my dad's shoulder because I was so emotional. I was so worried that, you know, like my family wouldn't accept me. Um, because at the time I was very religious and my religion didn't accept me. I grew up Catholic. Um, so my, my parents, you know, for my father to have said that, it was just such a big, big deal for me. It, there was still sort of like a coming out process for them as well. They had to educate themselves. We had more conversations. Um, but I, I remember one day very vividly a couple of years ago, I was, um, 
with my mother and we were in the car, we were going somewhere and she turns to me cause she had the most trouble dealing accepting with that, you. accepting. Yeah. But she turned to me and she said, you know what? I'm going to love whoever loves you because that's what the most important thing is. And I consider that moment to truly be a very definitive for my mother and I's relationship. Um, they love Brian. My whole family does. I have two older brothers who are both married with kids. Um, they love him. My parents love him. Um, they are very excited to um, attend our wedding next year because we're getting married. Um, and I mean, I really could not have asked for a better family. They're, they're amazing. Yeah. How did they overcome the Catholic teaching and sort of work themselves out of that to love and accept you for who you are? So it's kind of, kind of funny because I was very religious, whereas my parents were not oh. really very religious. Not very Catholic. <laughs> yeah, you know, Catholic every once in a while. Uh, but I used to go to church a lot by myself. I just wanted that connection to, like, something spiritual. Um, but my father was never one to really go to church. My mom would accompany me every once in a while, but she wouldn't really go either. Um, so it was really more you that had to work out. How did yeah. you do that? Was that difficult? It was very difficult. Um, I At the time, I did a lot of prayer. Um, a lot of research, um, a lot of kind of also like looking inward to eventually reach the conclusion that if God is love, which is what they teach you, then he would not judge me for loving anybody. So, um, I reached that conclusion. And after, after I reached that conclusion, it was easier to come out to my parents okay. as gay. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And Brian, what about you? Completely opposite story. Uh, substitute Catholic for Southern Baptist. Uh, the only person in my family that I speak to is my mother. Uh, my father and brother are both alive. I don't speak to either one of them. My father was very physically and emotionally abusive growing up. Um, he thinks I don't speak to him because, you know, he tells people, oh, I didn't congratulate him on an engagement. No, usually 37 years of shit. And I was finally like, I'm done talking to you. You're toxic. I don't want you in my life. You felt for 37 years he had been <clears throat> toxic. Oh, yeah. 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 My dad, you know, he and I talked about one day. I have no doubt that my dad loves me. He just, like, he doesn't know how to love unconditionally. And he's definitely the type that everything he ever gave you in life had a string attached to it. Um, he's also just totally different than me. He's very racist. He's very misogynistic. He's bigot. It's crazy. But he's that stereotypical Christian that hijacks the Bible for what he wants it to be. And he can quote you scripture and everything else. And I grew up hearing some of the most horrific things you could imagine. And, you know, he would back it up and say, well, God feels that way. And where did you grow up, Brian? Um, friends with Texas. Okay. Uh, south of Houston. Um, and then I have a half brother who is four and a half years older and I quit speaking to him years ago. Um, he was having a 4th of July party one year and told me that, you know, I was welcome at the house, but my boyfriend was not. Was this when you were already? No, it was, it was years ago. Uh, so I don't speak to him either. And then both my grandparents were very hateful people. My grandmother is 91. She's still alive somehow. Um, so really and truly, you know, I know a lot of people are always like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, no, no, no. I removed a whole lot of toxic stuff out of my life. 
and it's great. And your mom, you're uh, so connected with her. We are. <clears throat> we struggled a lot, kind of like his mom. Um, my mom was your typical Southern belle. Uh, she's all a four foot 11 and you know, you would think she's a Georgia peach. We're just in Texas. Um, she really struggled with it. A whole lot of, you know, what will people at the church say to which I was like, well, there's three families at the church that have gay kids that they're trying to act like don't exist. They've shipped them all off right now, but that's your typical Southern Baptist church. You know, um, we could speaking for a while. Um, and then she called me on my birthday one, one day. And, uh, the first thing I said to her is, will you go to therapy? And my mom agreed to go and, you know, it was only four sessions, but it was the best four sessions ever because he really made her kind of like see the light and she came around. So, uh, pretty now quickly after that, or was there pretty quickly? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It, you know, and then she got divorced after 43 years, which was 43 years too late, but good for her. Um, and she's finally happy. And honestly, that helped her a lot too. Like, you know, she's in her late sixties now. Now she's sixty nine, and her whole attitude is, "I just want to be happy." And she knows that I'm very happy with him, and you know, so she's fantastic. I'm hearing from <clears throat> both of you that each somebody in your family sees the happiness that other brings you. Absolutely right. In doing my research, I learned that you're is it eighteen years apart yes. in age. Yes. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. What? How? What are the strengths <laughs> and weaknesses, if any? Uh, how does that play out in your relationship? Well, uh, I actually think it's more beneficial for me <laughs> um, because. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What did you say, Brian? I said it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm, and uh, this is very stereotypical, like Latino. Like I have a very. Uh, fiery sort of temper. Uh, and he definitely has like the patience and experience to handle that whenever we have like a disagreement or let's say we're not really happy with each other for whatever reason, which is um, very rare. It is rare. Yeah. He has, you know, the maturity to say, we need to talk about this before it, you know, becomes something else. Um, which I, sometimes resist a little, but you know, I, I eventually understand like, he's right. Like we need to do this. And, and I think that's a very valuable lesson that I need to learn. And that's really something that comes from living like experience, maturity, wisdom. And um, had you been in any relationships before you met Brian? And if so, was it different in that regard? Yes. And yes. Uh, <laughs> You know, people usually tend to respond to defensiveness with defensiveness. So, um, when I react defensively, a lot of my past relationships, they've also reacted defensively. And I think what's, what's good, not only about me having those experiences is that I, I can recognize that now in myself and sort of talk myself down because my reaction will be, is instinctual. But what I do afterwards is what ends up counting the most. And what his reaction is, is, is not defensiveness, it's patience to where it's like, whoa, you know, are you being a bit defensive now? Let's like talk about this. Let's, you know, talk through it. And so I think that's, that's very beneficial for me just to like grow more as a person and learn how to tackle those conflicts in a healthy way. I see. And Brian, have you always been that kind of patient, calm guy, or was that a skill that you sort of learned from some other 
previous relationships? Um, or both? As a child, I told my house was, was crazy. Um, and in high school, I told my mom one day, your relationship is everything I will never have. Purposely. And I was 14 years old. I was a freshman in high school. And I remember I got into an argument with a friend and I was my father's son. My father is the type that like he has a mental filing cabinet of every weakness you have and everything else you have. And when he attacks you, it's like guns blazing and keeps going. You're looking for the nearest knife to slice your wrist, you know, by the time he's done with you kind of thing. And I retaliated to against a friend that way. And I saw firsthand how I felt all the time, but I'd done that to a friend. And so at 14, I basically told myself, you're going to be just like the person you hate the most, or you can change. And I told, and that's actually where I decided to, I was going to get a psychology degree and I was going to figure out why I was so screwed up. Found out it was not me that screwed up. It was my dad. <laughs> you know. Um, but with that, I then basically made a list of what I will and will not allow in my life. And, you know, it was one of the things when he and I got together, <clears throat> I kind of put it out there. I was like, we can have disagreements and we can talk about it all day long, but I'm not going to fight with you and I'm never going to call you nasty names and I'm never going to put up with you calling me nasty names. It will always be respectful. The moment it's not is the moment I'm done. And, you know, and he was very good about that. And another thing that I told him early on that I said, this will save you so much time I learned it in therapy and it was hands down the hardest thing in my life to learn. Like hands down. Uh, my ex and I, I was in a prior relationship a little over five years and it was on the surface. Everybody thought we were great, but underneath it all it was pretty tumultuous because he was cheating the entire time unbeknownst to me. Uh, so we do end up in therapy and all this other stuff. And the therapist at the time, um, one day he said, we're going to do listening exercises, which I'm not perfect. And I was like, this is the dumbest shit I've ever heard. And so, of course, the first day it was my ex's turn to talk. So I have to sit there and listen. And, you know, he says, you know, Robert said, TJ, what do you say what you have to say? And then he's like, Brian, what did TJ say? And I'm like, he said this. So then he turns, he's like, did he get it? And he's like, no, he's like, say it again. I'm like, oh, good God, this is so stupid. <laughs> Took about 45 minutes for me to get it. I'm not going to lie. I have no ego with this. I'm like, yeah, I was a little slow. Um, and basically what the exercise was, it was teaching you all of us listen to rebut. The second somebody tells us something we don't like, we stop listening and we start forming our argument in our head oh, you said this, well, that's bullshit and this and this and this and you do this and it goes nowhere. It's not productive at all. So, excuse me, that exercise really taught me how to listen to understand. And Robert was great. Robert was like, it's not that your feelings don't matter. Robert was the therapist. Robert Snowgrove, yeah, he's amazing. He just said, I'm just asking you to set on the side and I want you to look at things from their perspective. Yes. Can you understand how they would feel this way? Can you understand how they would come up, you know, how these feelings would develop due to XYZ. Can you see their perspective? <clears throat> that sounds like an imago or a mirroring exercise mm -hmm. that therapists often do with couples. And just real quickly, I'll tell you that uh, many of those therapists have noticed that they teach couples to do that and it's very helpful in sessions. And then they notice that over time, the couples stop doing it 
and they mm-hmm. couldn't figure out why the co- and some people think that it's because if you're really doing a good job listening, mm-hmm. not thinking about what you're going to say next, but really listening, mm-hmm. at some point you realize that the person you love the most could not be more different than you are mm-hmm. in terms of how they think about certain parts of life and the world. Mm-hmm. And that realizing that difference is terrifying. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it's so hard and kind of painful to listen well. Mm-hmm. Anybody, you say the right thing, they're going to get triggered and they're going to have a conflict and they're going to get mad. It's what you do with that. You know, he and I are both thinkers. And when I say that, it's like, give us a moment to calm down. Right. You know, and I'm absolutely the type that I'm like, if I get quiet on you, I'm pissed. (laughs) And if I am quiet, odds are you should probably leave me alone for a little bit. You know, but I don't know. I mean, I'm like, I've never blown up on him because I just, I really, I've learned how to like control everything. Um, and then when we do have a conflict, I'm the first one to be like, all right, I can see where he's coming from, you know, blah, 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 you know, and then we'll talk about it. And he's good about looking at it from the other side. Sometimes I have to be like, could you possibly see things from my side? And the, the Latin temper, he's like, like, ugh. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's when your temper conflict. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, but I mean, honestly, we've never like had a conflict last very long. And that's one thing I will say we're good about is like, we're going to talk about it and we're going to be done. My mom, God love her. And Lord knows my dad was a nightmare to live with, but that woman has a mental steno pad and she could be like, in 1977, you did this. Huh. <laughs> but so was my dad. My dad was the same way. And I'm like, this tit for tat shit that y'all do. And holding on. To yes. I'm like, that does no good. You know? And I think so many people are just unwilling to like, let shit go. No one's perfect. No one's perfect. As you just said a minute ago, quite often, you know, you end up with somebody really opposite from you. And they're going to see things differently. They're going to, everything's going to be different. That's part of the attraction. Yeah. You know, but for some reason you're together. I mean, like we are so into each other, but we're not totally alike at all. There's mm. John, which, which yeah. one gets you the most when the, the difference that sort of flips your switch? Um, that's a, an interesting question. I can't think one of one at the top of my head because whenever one does come up, it's kind of like we talk about it ad nauseum, you know, and eventually we come to either a compromise or an agreement. Um, and so they, they don't fester. They don't, I never think about them. You know what I mean? It's, it just becomes something. And quite often it's, okay. it's not that they're different. It's just that somebody doesn't necessarily understand where the other person's coming from. Mm-hmm. And then when it is discussion, like, Oh, it's really not that different. Okay. You know, it's like, it's like, God forbid, in this very divisive world right now that we live in of politics. Right. I have a lot of Republican friends. I have a lot of Democrat friends. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, if y'all would just sit down at the table, you would discover that you really aren't that far apart. Sure, there's some key issues that you are as different as night and day. But if you focus on like the things that, you know, we all kind of want in common, you both think the other is polar opposite. And good God, you're idiots because you're not that far apart. You know, I mean, there's, there's, to me, there's major fundamental things in the world that everybody kind of wants. And I think people just see things so... If they see one thing that's different, they're like, I'm not going to handle that. Mm. You know, that drives me crazy. I feel like I got off topic, though. <laughs> no. 
No, that's okay. When you think about the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years together, what are your hopes and dreams? In your heart of hearts, what do you want for each other? Well, not 20 years from now, but further along. He swears he's going to die first. And I'm like, that's not part of this deal. That irritates the shit out of me. I'm like, that is one advantage I should have is I get to die first. Oh and he's like, God. nope, because my family, we have longevity. Like, it's funny. On my mom's side, which I tend to take after, we live to our late 80s, early 90s. And he's like, oh, we die early in my family. I'll probably die at 70. And I'm like, oh, this is bullshit. Because <laughs> you know? I'm like, this is not going to happen. Uh, oh, so that's kind of our ongoing joke, but you know, we get married next summer in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell me more um, about that. So a little backstory on our first road trip ever during the, the <laughs> summer fling, uh, we were looking for music and he was going through my phone and he saw disco and he was like, Oh, you like disco? And I was like, I love disco. <laughs> and so a joke was made that he's like, Oh, if you ever asked me to marry you, you better be under a disco ball. Well, you remembered that. That's when your I, dad's, oh, you never let that go. That's I mean, dad's <laughs> thing of like keeping track yes. was helpful, right? <laughs> totally was. <laughs> you remembered it. I also well, had that and I finally got it, honey. <laughs> and honestly, like every time in any context, any situation, if we would see a disco ball, we just kind of like look at each other. <laughs> it was like, kind of like our mistletoe, you know? Like yeah, we would laugh yeah. about it because obviously we're gay men, you're in a club, there's going to be a disco ball. Disco. So we've seen a lot of disco balls <laughs> in the three plus I love years. That, though. Yeah. You know? It was kind of an inside. Joe, right? Oh, it totally was. Yeah. No, people would wonder why we would like laugh and giggle about a damn disco ball, but we're like, hee, hee, like little boy. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a connecting inside joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I asked him on Christmas Day. Uh, we have some wonderful friends there. Totally like family because I have definitely built my own family, if you will. Um, and they live in upstate New York. They're on seven acres rolling. It's just beautiful, beautiful property. And uh, I had intended to ask him there, and I had bought a disco ball online with a spotlight, and I had it shipped to New York. <laughs> and uh, so we we go see them for either Thanksgiving or Christmas every year. And uh, we went to bed on Christmas Eve, and there was no snow at all. Being a Southern boy, I don't really know how all this works. <clears throat> and our friends, Chris and Bonnie, they were both like, the forecast doesn't look good. You're, you're probably not going to have snow. And I was like, I will abort this whole plan. It revolves around a white Christmas. <laughs> We woke up on Christmas morning, or I did it. He was still asleep at 6 a.m., and it was white everywhere. Beautiful. Amazing. They called it a Texas miracle in New York. <laughs> uh, it was very windy, so we had to improvise the plan. And Bonnie's husband, Chris, God love him, he like pulled it all the stops out. I had the disco ball hanging over the side of the house, and it was at night, so the Christmas lights were on, and the spotlight was hitting the disco ball. And I asked him, and he said, Absolutely. <laughs> So now we're getting married July 4th of 19 in Maui, on the beach in Maui. Well, it's like his dream wedding. And, um, he, you know, we went a couple of years ago during the mm-hmm. summer and just fell in love. And he, he had been there already, but I think Hawaii is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been to. And so we decided, you know, that it was going to be in Maui. We had the place picked out and everything, which has since changed, but it was just, I mean, we just knew we wanted to get married there. It's just beautiful. Are you going to have family and friends mm-hmm. join you? Yeah. Um, I am not all about, it's funny because I, I threw events for the charity and I'm very involved in nonprofit and I'm all about events, but I'm not at all about weddings that to me is just a bunch of bullshit for other people and the drama and how tired you are and exhausted you are. Mm-hmm. I'll spend the same amount of money 
But our list is capped at 50 people, and it truly is the 50 VIP people in our life. Yeah. Like, if you're not VIP, you didn't make the list. And and I have no problem saying that. Because our whole deal is, I'm like, I want it to be laid back, and I want us to have a wonderful time, and I want us to be able to visit with our guests. So many people that I know when they have their big wedding, you know, it's like you get three or four minutes with this person, three or four minutes with this person. And I'm like, no, we're going to be with y'all for a week, and we're going to go and do things together, you know, in the process. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have an awesome wedding. It's going to be smaller. It's going to be really intimate. You know, we'll really get to appreciate who came, you know. I mean, it's it's a big production. If you go all the way to Hawaii for our wedding, you know, one, we want you there. We're spending a lot on the wedding, and you're quite honestly spending a lot to get there. So, sure, sure. you know, we really are very lucky that the people that are going, we're super excited about. We don't have any of that, oh, well, we have to invite so-and-so. Nope. If there was any wisdom that you've gained so far in your relationship together that you would want other LGBT couples to know, what would you tell them is important about creating a strong connection together? I'll be quick. I would say, and I, I believe this forever, and again, it stems from my childhood. It doesn't really matter that it's LGBT, but relationships have like no place for pride and ego. Self-respect, absolutely. But leave your pride and leave your ego outside because that's there's no reason for it. You know, it's just going to cause a bunch of problems and you don't need it. And there's a lot of times when, you know, you, you just got to let things go. And I think too many people get wrapped up in pissed off about the tiniest little things. And the other thing, it sounds silly if you're in a relationship with somebody that stay connected. I mean, he and I are constantly checking in with each other. We live together. We're always together, but one of us knows when the other one is slightly off and we're like, Hey, and it is it, 99% of the time. It's not us. It's just, I've got this nonprofit. You know, I'm very involved in things. And so we're crazy busy. And he's a school teacher. Well, that does the day doesn't really end at three o'clock. Yes. You know, and so just staying in touch with each other, communication, I mean, I hate to sound like a textbook, but honest to God, just talk to each other. One more thing that he used to tell me um, that I have really kind of held on to was just take care of each other, you know? Like, I'm a huge proponent of, of course, taking care of yourself and making sure your own needs are met. But if you take care of your partner and your partner takes care of you, then you're both taken care of. And that's just like such a simple way of showing that you love each other and that you are there for them. And it just strengthens the bond that's already there. You're a beautiful couple. (laughs) Congratulations on your wedding next year. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. And thank you so much for joining me on the show. Oh, we appreciate you asking us. It's it's been great. Mm -hmm. Do you know any LGBT couples with interesting stories and wisdom to share on the show? Jeff would love to meet them, so please contact him through the website at qmarriagementors.com. Until next time, thanks for listening, and have a great week.